0: Hey, Jacob's well Online, this is Joshua Scoyne. We are continuing our series on the Gospel of Luke. This week, we're looking at the parable of the sower, seeing how important it is for us to check the soil of our hearts and our lives so that we are receptive to the truth of the Gospel. Well, hi, everybody. Um, congratulations, we made it. Four years have gone by for us to make it to this moment where we get to celebrate another leap year. Kind of an exciting day. And I think this is probably going to be the first and perhaps only leap year day, leap day, is there a name for this, that I ever get to give a message. So I'm going to just relish it and enjoy it because we have found ourselves here. What a time for us to be alive and experience this together. And to celebrate this holiday, our state, Wisconsin, has decided to give us a little taste of spring. How nice. And I don't know if you guys have experienced it, but over the last week, I have seen this silly thing that we do every year. We start getting a few days that creep over 40 degrees, right? And all of a sudden, it's like, well, it's spring. It's here, right? It's right around the corner. And we fool ourselves, even though, guess what? March starts tomorrow, and it's like this awful month that doesn't like us very much. But we get kind of fooled, and you can start to see it on people's faces, That cabin fever is in full swing, and everybody starts talking like summer starts just next week. People get this place where they they, they want to bust out the mopeds. They start dreaming about spending all day out on the lake. I've been hearing this, but sorry to burst your bubble. We have a long ways yet, people, and if that's you and if you're thinking, oh, it's right there, it's right there, you chose the wrong state, so I'm sorry. But about this time of year, we all start dreaming about June and July and August in Wisconsin, and we think about it as if these are just the most wonderful months of the year, because we completely forget that in Wisconsin, not only do we get brutally cold winters, but when the heat comes, it comes with this beautiful thing called humidity, right? And as we walk around, not even submerged in water, we still need to swim. That's how it feels, and we also forget about these great clouds of mosquitoes that just seem to fill the whole atmosphere. And it also means that one of my least favorite things comes with spring, summertime, and that is lawn care. And maybe there's a few of you in this room who can relate to me. I'd almost rather do the whole shovel thing, do the whole roof raking like we had to do last year, instead of lawn care. My wife and I bought a a house a couple years ago, and our house happens to be on three acres, which is a lot for someone like me who grew up in in the middle of town and never had to mow anything like that before. And of course, for my first house, I thought not only should it have a lot of acreage, but then the whole thing should just be a hill. That'll be smart. Let's just do that. So three acres, the whole thing's a hill. It takes forever to mow, and I'm also pretty convinced that my trees hate me. And maybe someone else feels this way. I always thought, man, I want trees in my yard. I want a whole bunch of them. But here's the thing. Every spring, I go and I look as the snow melts, and it's like, how many sticks are on the ground? How could that have possibly happened? And so I'll go out there with my little wagon, and again, it's a hill, so like there's just no way to keep that thing from sliding down. I'll fill this thing full. I'll spend the whole afternoon out there. And then I look outside the next day and it's like they just dropped limbs. It just happens every single year. So when I think about lawn care, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm looking so forward to summertime and to this whole thing. And when it comes to grass, I know that there's different kinds of people represented in this room. Some of you are like the tweezed lawn types. Are you brave enough to raise your hands? Those of you guys that really care about that, need like those perfect stripes and everything? You guys go ahead and be shy, but I know you're out there. Thank you. Thank you. That's not me. I don't care. My hope and my dream, can it be green? That'd be awesome. I'd like green. I would also like if it wasn't four feet tall. If I'm able to manage within that, Still green grass, and it's not four feet tall. To me, that is success when it comes to lawn care. But I have learned something in my time as a homeowner. The soil matters. And some of you guys have experienced this. Around your house, when you're hoping to make that whole thing green and beautiful and so that you can walk out barefoot and it feels good, depending on what kind of dirt is there, depending on the composition of the soil, it changes so much. There is this spot right behind my house. It is not a a large slope. It's pretty gradual. and only goes up like five feet. But this thing is just—it's just annoying because every time I have to mow it, it's like dirt clods and stuff, and it won't grow, grow normal, nice green grass for me. So last year I did some research, and I found this product, and it claimed to be a miracle seed, and it claimed that you could not fail. I proved it wrong. I used my green thumb, and I showed it very much how, how much I could uh, prove that wrong. And uh, no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much I tried to work up the soil, because of the composition and because of the sand and all this stuff, it would not grow. And so I learned that the soil matters, And here we are in the Gospel of Luke. We find ourselves at chapter 8. And I find this kind of amazing that Jesus uses imagery of seeds over and over and over again to explain the kingdom of God. From the story of the mustard seed, this tiny little thing that is planted, but then when it grows, it's this mighty tree to the story of the wheat and the tares, the vine and the branches, and then, of course, we find ourselves here at the story of the parable of the sower in chapter 8. It begins in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a very famous parable of Jesus, and we see him consistently throughout the scriptures, using these parables, using these metaphors and these riddles to communicate really deep truths, because Jesus was a master communicator, a master teacher, but he also said things in ways that sometimes surprised people. Continuing here in verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing They may not see, and hearing they may not understand. This is kind of Jesus' answer right here for why did he teach this way? Here he is, the Son of God, about to explain the kingdom and how it is coming and how he's going to make his kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven. But he often didn't choose language that was so plain, that was so easy to understand. Instead, he kind of explained it in a way that seems a little different, a little concealed. And the reason why he does this is through these parables, Jesus could make some really bold claims that revealed truth to anyone who was open-minded, to anyone who had ears to hear and to ponder these things and to want to go deeper and to understand. But at the same time, they served another really great purpose— they would conceal his message to those who were against him. And we see that throughout, throughout the Gospels. At the beginning, as Jesus starts doing miracles and sharing his plan, people are like, well, this guy is awesome. Here he is feeding like 5,000 people. This is great. Let's all follow him. But then he kept saying these incredibly bold and dangerous things. And people would kind of be like, I don't know about him. And there would be the Pharisees that would look down on him and would start to plot against him. And some things we know were intentionally kept hidden until he'd carried out his mission. Jesus came to earth to bring this kingdom, to share what God was doing through him. But ultimately, he had this goal and he had this mission to get to the cross to die the death that you and I should have died to buy us back. And so certain things, the Bible actually tells us, were intentionally kept hidden from people's eyes. Even the disciples were not able to fully comprehend and grasp the teachings and the things that he said until after he rose again. And then it's like God lifted their eyes and allowed them to see, allowed them to take it in and to experience and to know. So when Jesus uses these parables... I think we need to fight the urge to see them as simple things or simple stories, especially those of us who maybe grew up in a Sunday school environment. For me, actually, as I was looking at this whole passage, this section of the Gospel of Luke, at first I was resistant to tell this story because I grew up in a church where we kind of like went through all the parables. It felt like all year long, and then we just kind of rotated them again. I was like, oh, that seems to be a simple thing. And as I came and I prayed and I was asking God, well, what, what do you want shared this weekend? there's truth here that is so important for all of us and and especially for me as well. And so I wanna come here and not see this as a simple story or a simple metaphor of God, but instead something profound, a deep truth, that only those who are humble enough to really listen and to lean in and to hear it, for us to take it in and to know. So Jesus is about to explain this. We continue in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. But then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. This is kind of one of the rare instances where Jesus not only uses a parable, but then when his disciples say, Rabbi, what, what does this mean? What are you trying to say with this metaphor? He unpacks it for them and he takes time for them. So this idea of the seed that's been, that's been cast out and it's landed on a path, like a sidewalk, like something too hard, so it just bounces off. And then the devil comes, just like in this parable, like a bird that swoops down to eat the seed. And as I was thinking about this, this is what I was thinking about. We've all experienced seagulls, right? And they're crazy. And if you are eating a picnic lunch out on the beach and you have even just a little bit of crumbs, those things are going to come after you. Uh, A couple years ago, no, just last year, my wife and I were on vacation out in California. We were going to see the Channel Islands National Park, which if you've never done before, they're beautiful. Make a plan to do it. While we're out there, we are told on this long boat ride out to the islands that when we are there, um, the different populations of animals, there's not very many of them. They don't have natural predators, so they've just gone kind of wild in their population. And there happen to be these Ravens, which were massive. And they told us, be really, really careful. Whatever you pack in there, you have to pack back out. And uh, you don't want to leave a bag of chips sitting out there. You don't want to leave a sandwich sitting out there. Make sure you pack it in, pack it out. Be good to the environment. What I did not realize was these ravens are brilliant. So I went and I did the whole hike thing, and we came back down, and we were about to enjoy our lunch. We're right next to the beach, and I take my backpack off, completely zipped, completely sealed, and I just set it down on the rocks so that I can walk over and put my feet in the ocean. I I don't know, 10 feet maybe? And as I'm like looking at the ocean, I hear screaming, and I turn around, and these ravens swooped down and grabbed my backpack, and somehow, using their talons, were able to like, grab onto the zippers. I'm not kidding. They grabbed the zippers. They undid my backpack. They reached inside. They grabbed a bag of Lay's potato chips, which to us was this great treasure that was going to mark the end of our trip. We were so excited for these things. They stole them. They were closed, too. So they managed to get that thing open. They took our our chips, and then they flew off. And everyone's looking at me like, they told you. They told you on the ride over here to be careful. What I get from that story is, man, when a bird wants to swoop down and to grab these seeds, they are ready to do it, and they will do it with a vengeance. But here, in this parable, he compares it to Satan Who when these seeds, the hope of the gospel is scattered along the path, that people's hearts are hardened and they're resistant to hearing the truth about this. And then Satan is all too happy to keep people at arm's length and to take this truth so that they never really take it in so that no root can grow or develop. These are the kind of people that when they hear about the gospel, when they hear maybe from you about how God has changed your life and and what's happened for you, and then you try to explain, we've all sinned and we need a Savior. They hear that and they're like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a good person. I don't need a Savior. The things you're talking about, I know people who are that bad. I know people who are broken and who need Jesus, but that's not me. And they hold him at arm's length. The seed is the same. The word of God is the same. It has just as much power to save every person who hears it. But the response to this seed, to this message is different in every single person. The parable continues in verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word at first, man, they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while and then in time of testing, they fall away. Maybe in that last one, you're like, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm not that hardened, you know, and I, 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 I want to know more about God. Maybe you're going to see yourself here. Imagine that you've got some topsoil, that the wind has kind of driven onto a rocky patch, and the seed falls onto this topsoil, and so at first, it's able to grow. It's able to get a little bit of nutrients, and so it gets larger. But then, um, the, the root itself, it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't make it far enough down to get to deeper sources of water and nutrients. And when the scorching heat and the sun comes, it can't can't stay standing anymore. It withers and it dies. These are the people who, when they hear it, they hear the truth and they think, yes, I do want that. But then something hard happens in their life. Maybe they get sick. Maybe they lose someone that they love. When things get too hard, when the money issue gets too difficult, we start, instead of, of having faith and letting that, that root grow deeper to find our strength in him, instead we start asking questions like, how could God allow this to happen? If he's really a good God, he would have protected me. He would have defended me. He would have given me a different solution. And so as the trial and that tribulation comes and it is more difficult, they come to a point where they're like, oh, I don't actually want this anymore I thought this was it no it's it's not for me and the problem here is it can be easy for us to follow Jesus when we have everything that we want when life is easy when we don't feel the problem but when it gets hard how would you respond how would I honestly respond I've seen this unfortunately too many times Where somebody hears about Jesus and they hear the truth, and they just, at first, they get so excited. And maybe it's actually this kind of miraculous, like, wow, that is like the fastest turnaround I've ever seen in somebody. And they get all fired up for God and they start joining everything that they can join, and they they buy a new Bible and they're, they're excited. Maybe they go through and get baptized, whatever it is. But then something hits, something difficult, a trial, and then all of a sudden, it's like they just disappeared. What's going on there? It's difficult. And at the same time, we've also seen examples of the exact opposite. Of individuals when things really got hard and really got difficult. Instead of fleeing from God, instead of choosing to turn their backs on God, we have see these people who just, they, they, they grow so deep in him. I think of, of individuals in my life who have gotten a horrible diagnosis or loved ones who've had to watch somebody go through that. And I've got a few names in my head right now of people who have handled that with such grace and just this wonderful awe at their God. Instead of asking him, how dare you do this to me? How could you allow this to happen? They say, no matter what you do, whether you bring healing in this situation or you choose not to, I'm going to rely on your strength, I'm going to hold fast in this because I know that you are good. And I know that ultimately what you promise me, this eternity, this forever with you, God, that is so much more valuable and more worth it than my current situation. When we see people like that, it causes awe in us. It causes wonder in us. And the question I want to ask myself, while things are going well for me, right now they are, When the hard times come, when the trials come, will my faith be steadfast? Am I rooted in him, or am I going to wither up in the sun like this says? It continues in verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. See, in this case, the seed that was cast out, it does find some soil. And it takes root, and it starts to grow. But as it grows, the thorns and the weeds that surround it, they come up around, and they start to choke it out. It it starts out well, but then the cares and riches and pleasures of this life become more and more enticing. The plant was growing. It has so much potential But it turns aside to the things of this world, and then it fails to bear fruit. We see that in Jesus' explanation, and their fruit does not mature. All this potential, but at the finish line, it's missing the mark. This is one for me. I I just want to be honest, because sometimes people get this idea that pastors don't struggle with sin. Or people who do ministry have this whole thing figured out. That's not true. No, I look at this and I have to honestly ask myself some really hard questions and, and analyze my heart. Because when I first put my faith in Jesus, I remember when I was 16 when, when he became so real to me, it was almost easy for me to follow Jesus. It was almost easy for me to pursue him because at that time I was so curious I wanted to read the Bible, and I went through it like super fast because I I realized I don't know these stories. I've heard some of the Bible stories growing up, but I don't know the context, so I started reading this thing like a madman, and I spent so much time in prayer, and I was constantly looking for opportunities to go to services, to worship, which... By the way, that to me when I was 16, I was I could not believe the power that happens when God's people come together and they don't let things that would distract them take over their minds and they're able to just honestly connect with Jesus and worship. It was profound to me. And at that time, I sought this stuff out because I wanted more and more and more of it. But then years go by. And some of you in this room have been Christians for 5, 10, 15 longer. And the question is, does our hunger stay the same? Or over time, maybe that thing that at first was so satisfying and meant so much and was so worth the effort, as the years go by, I find myself that that, 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 that childlike wonder and that awe started to dull. And the things of this world become more enticing. I'm not the only one in the room who feels this way. Little by little, I start to turn my eyes. And and you know, we're actually called as believers in Christ to be different than the world, to live contrary to the world around us. But the problem is, for me, in my life, over time, I became more and more similar. I've immersed myself in the culture. I've become engrossed in the culture. I'm more than happy to spend hours upon hours watching Netflix or watching YouTube or whatever it is. Spending time just focusing on the things that this world says are going to make me happy and going to satisfy me. This desire to chase after more money, which didn't used to seem so important until you buy the house and you realize, I have to pay for the house And you start thinking about, well, retirement's important, and I need to make all these plans, and I need to be prepared. And at first, it can maybe start under a guise of, I want to be wise. I want to be intelligent with the things that God has given me. But over time, it starts to slip into that greed territory. And it's like, well, what about that car? And you start hearing about your friends who have the vacation that seems so much more glamorous than your vacation. And you start to tell yourself these lies. Well, I deserve that. I should have that. And if I'm not getting it, I'm not happy enough. Maybe it's chasing after status, money, whatever it is. What I'm saying here is, I think we need to fight the temptation with this story to think that it only applies to people who are hearing about Jesus for the first time. Do you hear what I'm saying? When it comes to these different types of soil, it's not just people who are hearing it for the first time. But what about those of us who the seed has landed on our soil and it has taken root and we started to grow and maybe we even flourished for a while. But over time, if we are not vigilant, if we are not careful, if we are not aware of our own hearts and our own desires these temptations, these things that our world tells us will satisfy us, become the thorns that surround and start to choke out. And so here I am, looking at myself, asking myself, am I still satisfied in Jesus? Or do I need these things? Have I turned my eyes away from him to another source? It reminds me of a story of the rich young ruler. Jesus drew a whole bunch of crowds around him and people wanted to follow him. He was impressive and he did these great miracles and he had this wise teaching. And so there's all these stories of these people who come up to him and say, I want to follow you. And Jesus, he wasn't about popularity. It's very clear when you read the gospels. He wasn't about just having a huge following and impressing people. In fact, every time the crowds got too big, he said something offensive something that would cut to their heart, something that would weed out who is really my disciple and who is just a fan, who is just a follow-on. And this guy comes and he says, Jesus, I have, I have followed the law my whole life, which, by the way, every time I read that in Scripture, I'm like, no, you didn't. That's impossible, come on. But he says, I- I've done that my whole life since I was a child. He's a huge liar. But then he asks Jesus, what, a- I mean, he asked Jesus, what else must I do? And Jesus replies and he says, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And all it says after this is he looked very sad because he was so, so rich. It doesn't tell us what he did. But I, I want to imagine here this guy, he, he, had to, he had to weigh it out, and he had to ask himself, okay, so Jesus is wise, and he's impressive, and, and he's this great teacher, I want to follow him, but that is such a hard calling, and what won out in his heart, to pursue the Savior, or to pursue the great wealth that he had acquired, and I think we need to be honest with ourselves, because everyone in this room, we're Americans, that means you're rich. Whether you think of yourself that way or not, we stand at this incredible point in history where people who would have lived just a couple hundred years ago would look at what you and I own and think we were better off than royalty. And also, our experience here in Wisconsin is not a global experience. There are people who are experiencing such incredible levels of poverty, yet we look to the mega-rich. We look to the billionaires we say, well, I'm not like them. I don't have money like them, so I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. I want to look at my heart and ask, wait, 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 Jesus, am I actually the kind of generous, humble person that you are calling to be your disciple? Or am I much like this rich young ruler that whenever you give me a call that is too hard, then I'll flake? Where are you at? We have to check our soil. In verse 15, he gives one last example. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We've seen the seed that hits the path. We've seen the seed that hits the rocky soil and then the thorns. But some of that seed that is cast out freely and available for everyone, some of that seed lands on good soil. And these are the people whose hearts are tender to the leading of the spirit. When these people come to church and they hear a difficult teaching or they hear something that would convict them, the kind of stuff we don't like because we realize it's contrary to how we're living our lives. Instead of running away, instead of pushing it off, instead of ignoring it, or like some of us do, we go, yep, good teaching, pastor. That was great teaching. And then we leave and we never do anything with it. Myself included. These are the people that when they hear that conviction, they're like, no, Jesus, anything I can do to be more aligned to your heart is worth it. That's what I'm longing for. See, this single tiny seed of hope, this message of the gospel, That when it's planted, it can grow into this mighty tree that bears fruit. And in the book of Matthew, it says that fruit could bear 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. The whole idea here is that when God plants this seed into your heart, yes, it changes you. Awesome. Amen. But there's more than that. It's not meant to just revive your heart, but it's meant to then multiply. We are called to work inside the kingdom of God. And each of us who puts our faith in Jesus are supposed to bear fruit, that we would have good works, that we would have evidence of a life that has been changed, that has been transformed. And the question I want to ask myself is, where's the fruit? Is there evidence in me of a life that has been changed and transformed? Is there evidence in your life? If people didn't see you in your seat right now in this room, but they just went off of conversations they've had with you in your workplace, or your family members, or that opportunity that you had at, I was going to say Shopco. Shopco is out of business now, whatever. Let's go for Target again, why not? At Target, when you had that opportunity to scream at the cashier, and you made a choice, what would they say about you? What would they say about me? Is it evident that there's something different and changed and holy inside of our hearts? Something that has been changed inside of us. So the question I want to ask all of us in this room is how is your soil? Where do you find yourself in this parable? I look at it and I found this to be a super sobering and difficult thing for me to look at my own heart and to be honest with. Here's a problem for me. My whole career, my job, is ministry. I get paid to do Christian stuff. 40, 50 hours a week. And something I'm asking myself is, do people think that I love Jesus because they see what I do in my job? Or is there something outside of my work and outside of what I'm required to do that people can see that truth, can see that honesty, can see the sincerity in who I am and what I'm for. When I look at the, the example of the rocky soil or the thorns, I see areas of compromise in my life. I see areas that I'm like, wait, 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 Jesus, I, I, have, I have lost focus of you. There are some things that have been lifted so high in my own mind, my own heart, my own estimation And I turn to them more than I turn to you. God, will you correct that in me? Will you change the soil of my heart? Will you help again to bring me to a place where my heart has good soil, that is receptive to your truth, that is sensitive to your word? I want to be the kind of man who longs for more of Jesus. I wanna be the kind of Christian that bears fruit and people can see it and they can see the honesty and the sincerity. I wanna be the kind of disciple that will one day hear my savior tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want that for all of you as well. So as I read this parable, it brings me to this point that we need to do a heart check. We need to honestly ask ourselves, what is the soil of my heart like? And then finally, I want to challenge all of us in this room who call ourselves Christians, we need to consider the cost of following Jesus. We find this parable in chapter 8, and as we work our way into chapter 9, there was this one extra paragraph I could not leave alone. It felt so connected. In verse 23 of chapter 9, it says this, and he, Jesus, said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself And take up his cross daily and follow me. This is not a small thing that Jesus is saying to this crowd. Because to people who lived in Israel at this point in history, this would have been an extremely vivid, intense, painful thing to hear this rabbi say to them. Because at this point in history, the Romans used crucifixion all the time, Jesus wasn't an isolated incident. And they would use it, sometimes they would line the roads leading into Jerusalem, line it with criminals and with people that they had hung up there as a statement to teach a lesson, to teach people, don't you dare rebel against Rome. There had been so much pain associated with this imagery. And the only people, they would have known that the only people who would have to carry a cross were the people that were condemned were the people that were looked down upon, that were shamed, that were without hope. And so as Jesus is telling them, this is before he died on the cross, he's telling them, deny yourself and take up your cross every single day. Put it on your shoulders and follow me. He's calling them and us to this radical thing of dying to ourselves every single day. It's a conscious choice to surrender our lives every day. When the old me, when that old self, who I used to be, the kind of temptations and addictions and struggles that I used to have before Jesus, when that side of me rears its ugly head and I come close to giving in again to that thing that I used to be a slave to, the person who carries their cross every day comes to Jesus and relies on his strength and surrenders and says, God, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be the new me that you have bought for me, that you have set me free, help me to trust you and to follow you. I just I surrender my life right now in this moment. When we give in and we find ourselves and we've already, we've already given into that sin, This kind of a person comes to Jesus and honestly acknowledges what we did, confesses it to our king, and then asks him for forgiveness knowing that he is so faithful and so just and that his grace and compassion and love just flows out for us. But we also have to come to him with this heart that wants to repent. Not being the kind of people who every time we sin just say, oh, Jesus, I'm sorry, forgive me, and then we do it again. And then we do it again. But instead, when we realize what we have done and we confess to him and we are so grateful for his forgiveness that we would turn away from that garbage and that brokenness and would again surrender to him, choosing to die to ourselves every single day. He continues in verse 24, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? We have a choice to make, every single person in this room, every day. Jesus is not looking or calling us to some sort of casual Christianity. He's not looking for people that want just a little bit of him, just on Sunday morning or maybe once during the middle of the week, just a little bit of Jesus to sprinkle in there. No, he's looking for disciples who are sold out, who are committed, who are willing to follow him no matter what the cost, even if it were to lead to our death, even if that means that trials and persecution comes, and that sun comes and it is scorching hot, but we say, Jesus, you are still worth it. When the, the pleasures of this life come calling, and those thorns start to choke us out, that we would surrender to him and say, Jesus, I don't want to be that person anymore. Change me. Transform me. Discipleship demands sacrifice. And Jesus never hid that from us. He was very honest to the people 2,000 years ago, and he's honest with us today. So my question for you that I'm asking myself, same thing, where does that leave you? What's your soil like? For some of us in this room, you're hearing this message and something about it is is stirring inside of you. It's moving inside of you. You're looking at these different types of soil. You're like, wow, I didn't even realize how much I've started to slide into these other areas, these areas of compromise, And there's something in you that is just wanting to reach out to Jesus and and ask him for forgiveness and ask him to change your heart. And I want to encourage you right now. You don't have to wait till you go home. You don't have to wait a week. You don't have to wait until you're completely all cleaned up and you look a certain way for him to accept you, for him to love you. I'm going to say a prayer right now. And I just want to encourage you in the silence of this room to close your eyes. And maybe you're here and you're hearing this stuff for the first time and something is is reaching inside of your heart and says, wait, I want to know a connection to this Jesus that would change me. I want to know the thing about him that that would draw me to a place of such surrender. This thing that this guy up here on the stage is talking about, something's resonating with me. I'm going to pray and I just want to encourage you. Pray with me. Jesus God, we need you, every one of us, including me. Lord, this world is so tempting, and it draws our eyes, it draws our ears, it draws our hearts, and every one of us is guilty of turning aside of choosing this world over you at different times, different moments. Lord, I want to pray for the person in this room right now who is hungry for a relationship with you, who wants to know what it looks like and what it means to no longer feel shame and guilt that seems like it is just burying them, but that they would know that, Jesus, you came and died on the cross because to set us free, Lord. You came to do that, to buy us back, to give us eternity with you, Lord, forever. And so I pray for that person right now that they would put their trust in you and that you would let them know that they are so completely forgiven, so completely loved, so completely yours. Jesus, I want to pray for the person in this room who would call themselves a Christian, but they can see the compromise in their heart. Jesus, help us right now in the silence of this room to confess to you the things that have taken precedent, that have become large to us, that have become more important to us. Jesus, forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would flood their hearts with such a sense of love that they would be able to see themselves as that prodigal son story of how the father of everything would sprint to us and wrap us up into his arms and call us his own. Jesus, help us to be a people who are sold out for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So for next steps today, I've just got three things. The first one is this, and this is really important. If You are here and you made a decision today, either to put your faith in Jesus, maybe for the first time. Some of us in this room, maybe you just recommitted your life to Jesus and you saw that thing and you're like, no, I I wanna be different. I wanna be changed. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna encourage you to talk to somebody today, okay? We wanna be there. We wanna walk alongside of you. Here's a couple of really tangible ways for you to do it. One is to fill out a connection card. And you could go bring that to the Connections uh, counter back out there. Otherwise, you could bring it over to the prayer room after service. And also, take advantage of the fact we have a prayer room right over here. And there's a wonderful group of volunteers who would love to talk to you, would love to hear from you, would love to connect with you. But if you did make a decision today, please don't just walk out these doors. It is so easy to say, Jesus, I want to change, and then to get in your car and drive away and to feel that conviction kind of move away. I would challenge you to take advantage of it right now in this moment. Next, for some of you, maybe something that you've been thinking about and considering is getting baptized. And this Easter, we are going to be celebrating all together in a beautiful service together. And we're going to be looking as as people choose to publicly stand up in front of everyone else and say, my life has been changed by Jesus and I want everyone to know it. And maybe that's your next step. So if it is, we've got classes on March 10th and April 7th. I want to encourage you to check that out. And finally, we have been recording a podcast every single week for this series on Luke. Because the Gospel of Luke is too full of good stuff. It's just got too much awesome things in it. And even for this message, I had to choose like five sections of within a two-chapter block that were not going to be said. What's great about this podcast is an opportunity for Paul and I to sit down, to record this, to talk through the rest of the context. And you can use that as a tool to read along with us. So I really want to encourage you to do that. Now today, um, we're about to end our service together by doing something really awesome, by taking communion together. And as we do this, it is a beautiful way for us to remember Jesus, this God who died for you and he died for me. When we eat the bread, we remember that his body was broken for us. When we drink the juice, we remember his blood that was shed to buy us back. It's this incredible act of love. We don't have a whole lot of rules about communion. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are welcome to come forward and to be a part of this together. The ushers will dismiss you. You can follow their lead. And we want you to know that all the stations have gluten-free bread. And if you're not able to come forward, please just raise your hand and one of the ushers will come by and make sure you're able to get the bread and the juice. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are so good. And I thank you for what you've done in this room. Lord, I thank you that even when we cannot see how you are moving and how you are speaking to individual hearts, we have a confidence in knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are present in this room, that you are alive and active and working in every individual here. For those who have made a decision tonight, God, we bless your name. We praise you. We thank you for your great strength. And Lord, I pray for courage and boldness for them, that they would go and tell someone that they would... Find um, people here at this church who love them and want to walk alongside them. Lord, I thank you for this message about these different soils and for the way it forces us to look at ourselves and ask, are we someone that is receptive, someone that that seed is able to grow and multiply and make differences for the kingdom of God? Jesus, as we take communion, help us to remember you, to be thankful for you, Lord, we owe you everything in Jesus' name, amen.